So we're going to talk about Jacob's disappointment today and our own. If you would please turn in your Bibles to Genesis 29, verses 1 through 30. And we'll begin our Advent series called Born. Born. Isn't that a great series title? And there's so much there to unpack over the four weeks following. These are the very words of God to you. Genesis 29, 1 through 30. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And as he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep were lying beside the well. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? And they said, We are from Haran. And he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, it is well, and see, and look, Rachel, his daughter, is coming now with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flock are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. And while he was still speaking to them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of his uncle Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman, that he was her aunt Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him into his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me then what your wages from me shall be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for the hand of your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, well, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Yes, stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but just like a few days because of the love that he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, 
after those years were finished, give me my wife that I might go into her for my time of service is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of that place and he made a great feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Laban also gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah that he had married. And then Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before giving the firstborn. Complete the honeymoon week of this one, and I will give you the other also in return for you serving me another seven years. Jacob did so, and he completed Leah's week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban also gave his servant, female servant Bilhah, to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. And so Rachel went in, Jacob went into Rachel also. And he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served Laban another seven years. I'll tell you what we've got here. The deceiver, that's the name of Jacob. That's what he's been like. The deceiver is deceived. Jacob tricked his brother Esau out of birthright and blessing. And now Jacob is having to run for his life because his brother is so mad he has vowed to kill Jacob out of vengeance. And so Jacob is, is on this long journey his mother says, we have relatives way back eastward. Go, go and live with them and you'll be safe from Esau and you can come back in, in a little bit. So he's on this long journey and, and on the journey he comes to a place called Luz, L-U-Z. And in that place called Luz, God literally caught up with Jacob. God appeared to Jacob. And you know, God did not punish Jacob for his deception God actually forgave Jacob. And God blessed Jacob with the very blessings that he had given to Abraham, Jacob's grandfather. And Jacob renamed that place Bethel, which means the house of God. Surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. This is none other than where God is with me. This is the gate of heaven. And so he leaves Bethel. He gets back onto the road to his journey to find uh, his family in Haran, kind of over toward uh, Iraq on our modern map. And he finally gets to a, a certain well in the middle of a field, and it turns out to be, he's close because it turns out to be the very well that his uncle Laban brings their sheep and waters the sheep. And, um, and so he asks the people, uh, where are you from? We're from Haran. So he knows he's very close to his uncle's house. Do you know Laban? Oh, yes, we know him. Is, is he doing okay? Oh, yes, he's doing okay. And right at that moment, his life 
was changed right at that moment. They said, look, that's his daughter right there. That is his younger daughter, Rachel. And Rachel, being a shepherdess, was, was bringing the sheep. And, you know, we, we could put it this way. I'm not sure if it's exactly this way, but this is the way modern people would put it. He uh, pretty much fell in love at first sight or something like that with Rachel. And so he's on the run for his life. He's the deceiver and... And now God has forgiven him. God has blessed him. Now he's met what he considers the love of his life. Things are looking up for, for uh, Jacob. Well, that's what you think. <laughs> and his uncle Laban greets him warmly. Verse 14, surely you are my bone. You're my, you're my family. We come from the same people. You are my flesh. And Jacob lived with him for a month. And we read that Jacob decides um, to ask Uncle Laban for the hand of Rachel, his daughter, in marriage. And that's where it begins to go south. So I don't know if you noticed the, the title of this message. It's, the title of this message is something we kind of say... In our culture today, what goes round, what's the rest of it? Comes round. That's right. What goes round, comes round. And I want to start by, by just kind of looking at this concept of the deceiver. Comes round, being deceived by his uncle Laban. Uh, what goes round, comes round. It's just an old-fashioned way of saying you get what you deserve. Or here, the deceiver got deceived. And let me tell you, when, when Jacob was on the receiving end of deception, he didn't like it at all. Jacob has met his match as a deceiver with Uncle Laban. And everything's about to change. So, Jacob promises to work seven years for, uh, for Laban. Now, normally, to marry uh, a young girl in the ancient Middle East... It wouldn't, you, would, you wouldn't pay. It would be your father if you were the groom-to-be. Your father, your family would pay the dowry or the bride price. But Isaac's nowhere around. Isaac's way, way back. Nowhere to be found. And so Jacob, are you ready for this? And this was kind of like a typical term for indentured servitude or a kind of willful slavery. Jacob sells himself into indentured servitude for seven years to pay the bride price to be able to marry Rachel. I mean, this is like an ancient form of ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from you, you know. I can hear Diana Ross singing in the background right now. And then we have this verse 20, this, we just want to say, ah, oh, love. Ah, oh, love. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and it seemed to him like only a few days because of the great love he had for Rachel. Y'all can say all oh, if you want to. Um, and so, he goes by fast. Seven years, and the time is up, and Jacob goes to his uncle Laban to collect his bride. He has paid the bride's price. 
And Laban agrees. And so Laban must have been a man of, of some kind of means because verse 22 says everybody in the entire place was gathered at this feast. Must have been a huge feast. Now, one of the customs in the Middle East at that time and Middle Eastern weddings during this period, and in some places still today, is that the bride remains completely hidden behind veils. Now, I'm not, you know, think about a veil that you'd see today where you can see the, the bride's face through the, not that kind of veil. These are veils, plural. These are heavy veils that literally make the bride in, not able to be seen. And um, both during the ceremony and after the ceremony, and that bride will wear those veils until sometime after the ceremony, the husband takes her veils off. Okay? Evidently, eager Jacob didn't bother to take the veils off until the next morning. Okay. Can you see him waking up? Now, he hasn't looked at his bride yet. He is singing in his heart, oh, what a beautiful morning. And then he looks at his bride. <laughs> he can't believe it. And, and we, we have verse 25. And in the morning, behold, he, he, he saw, he was shocked into the understanding by the visual, behold, it was Leah. Some people translate it, yikes, Leah. <laughs> Not exactly the best start to a honeymoon. Once, and I think we, we wonder how in the world could he make that mistake. Well, one scholar kind of helps us out a little bit. He says a very heavy veil on Leah and an ornate bridal, ornate bridal clothing would have aided the deception and may help explain how Jacob didn't notice that he had married Leah instead of Rachel. It is also possible that Leah and Rachel were similar in size in conjunction with it being dark and Leah being veiled. Another consideration I'm just reading, okay? Another consideration is that Jacob might have also had a little too much wine at the wedding feast, and this could have impacted his perception as well. That's a really nice way of saying something. But here's what we know. Laban pulled it off. <laughs> Uncle Laban. Jacob ain't got nothing on Uncle Laban when it comes to being a deceiver. Laban pulled it off, and he probably could not wait for the irate Jacob to storm into his tent the next morning upon discovery of Leah. And he probably could not wait for that confrontation. And, um, and so Jacob storms in. He says, if you read the text, I worked seven years and you have deceived me. Imagine that. You've deceived me. And Laban says something like this. Oh, 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 Jacob. Oh, that's right. You're not from around here. 
Oh, oh Jacob, I, I'm so sorry. You, you must be unaware of the custom that I'm not allowed to give the youngest daughter unless I've given the, the, first da- the, the oldest daughter first. I, Jacob, I am so sorry. But um, do not fear, Jacob. You can have Rachel too. For the bargain price of seven more years of slavery to me. And the reason that was agreed to is because we read in the text that Rachel was given to Jacob immediately to be married under one stipulation that, that Jacob finished his honeymoon with Leah. I feel sorry for Leah. And by the way, polygamy never was like God's intention. And I defy you to look at like really peaceful polygamous marriages in the Bible. Um, this one's going to be anything but peaceful. So he agrees. And uh, he works seven years for Rachel. So Jacob the deceiver is deceived. We would say it this way. What goes around comes around. Okay, there it is. He got what he deserved. Or maybe the Bible would say it like this. You, you reap what you sow. And Esau must have laughed for days when he heard about it. So, I'd like to take that same phrase and tell you that the way we say that is not what the Scriptures teach. And it's right here in this text, an incredible amount of hope for folks that have gone through things, that are going through things. What goes around comes around. But not, not the way you and I might think. Now, it's interesting, if, if I were talking about this passage 20 years from now, I wouldn't, wouldn't put it in a, a term that's very popular in the culture right now. The term is a, a term that comes from Eastern religion. I don't know if you're aware, but Eastern religion has made huge inroads into the West. And this is a term that people like kind of joke about, talk about. It's just kind of out there. And the term, some of you guessed it, is karma. Now, that's, that's just karma. Now, I think that if, if, if we're going to have all this talk about karma uh, in our, our society, for those of you who don't know what it is, it might be helpful. It's basically what goes around comes around on steroids. Karma uh, basically means that whatever you do, whatever you do to somebody else, good or bad, will come back to you, I mean, to the exact specifications of what you did, either good or bad. So what goes around comes around in a one-to-one correspondence. You understand what I'm saying? This is like some cosmic algebra of justice, of judgment in the world that is kind of built into the universe. This is what our Eastern friends believe, that it's kind of built into the universe. And if you don't get your come up it in this life, 
There is also the belief, which a staggering amount of Americans actually believe in what's called reincarnation, that people don't live one life. The Bible says it is appointed for us to die once and then face the judgment. But in Eastern thinking, people just kind of get recycled over and over and over and over. I mean, for thousands of years on this journey. And... Um, Hey, if you don't get your come up, it's, you, if, if you don't get your due punishment in this life, I mean, it's still, you're still going to get it. You're going to kind of like come back as a toad or something like that. I mean, I'm not joking with y'all. But the point for you to understand in this is that it is so mathematically precise, the punishment you get for what you did. I remember on an airplane with a uh, young man from India, and I've been to India and I uh, was doing ministry there, training Indian pastors. So, I, you know, I had to ask him. I said, are you, um, I, I assume you're, you're Hindu. Yes, I'm Hindu. Yeah. Do you believe in karma? You know, I got to turn to be the ugly American for a minute. You believe in karma? Well, of course I do. People would go crazy without karma. It all operates. If it doesn't operate on fear, it doesn't operate. People will not stay in line without fear. I said, okay, how about love being stronger than fear? How about love? Christianity is talking about love, perfect love, driving out fear. And we talked about the gospel, and he was not interested. Um, so the, the the main thing is, is you're going to. Hey, that's karma. You're going to get yours. This passage, even though there's some comeuppance, even though the deceiver gets deceived, this is not karma. And I want you to know, in your life, it is not karma. And in the life of people who have disappointed you and you can't wait for them to get theirs, it is not karma. That's not the way it works with believers. And it's not what happens in this passage. Yes, Jacob does get a dose of his own medicine. He does reap something of what he has sown. There's no doubt about it. But this turned out to be good medicine. Grace in disguise. In the plan of God. I mean, look. We all agree that what Jacob did to his brother, lying to him and deceiving his father, this was wrong, but it was all allowed by God in God's plan to accomplish what God had already prophesied. Do you remember, if you were here, when we started this kind of Jacob narrative, it was God who said, the younger, or the older, will serve the younger. The twins, Jacob and Esau, were in the womb. The younger is always supposed to serve the older. But God comes in and says, no, no, I've chosen the younger one. That's really out of kilter. And, and, and the younger one is my choice. I'm going to get it done through the younger one. And you know what? Jacob loved Esau, the older, more than Jacob. And he refused to give Jacob what God had already prophesied that Jacob was supposed to have. And Yes, there's all kinds of adventures and misadventures and deceptions and everything, but in it all, God's will is getting done. That's an amazing thing, just how in control God is, even in a fallen world. It's kind of encouraging if you think about it. 
So in all Jacob's trickery, God was still able to get his will done. He was still able to keep the covenant with Abraham passed down to the one he had chosen. Jacob is going to become known as the God, or Jacob's God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not to mention that the lineage of the Messiah is going to come through Jacob, who wasn't supposed to be in this picture at all. And all of his God's will is getting done. And in Laban's trickery, the same is true. God is allowing this, and God is using this. He is actually visiting Jacob with blessing here in this passage. Leah turns out to be, not Rachel. Rachel's a lot harder to get along with for lots of reasons than Leah. Leah's kind of the steady one. Leah's the one that, that holds fast to, to Yahweh. And, and Leah turns out to be what Jacob really needed. Later we find out, and this is Genesis 31, it's just two chapters from where we are in the, past, in the Bible right now. We find out that later Rachel um, steals the, the idols, the, the false gods in the, out of her daddy's house to, to worship them. Not Leah. So with all Laban's deception, Jacob gets blessed. He gets blessed. Jake, uh, Leah is God's gift to Jacob, uh, even though she, she's going through a hard time because he loves Rachel more. Um, and she will bear, the, you know, give birth to the majority of what are called the, the 12 tribes of Israel. She and Rachel, Rachel's only going to have two. The two maidservants, did you notice it said he gave Zilpah to be hers, he gave Bilhah. The reason that's mentioned is because they're actually going to be the, the give birth to two each of the 12 tribes of Israel. This is a very tangled web. I told y'all, Old Testament fam families are hideously dysfunctional. They just are. And, and Rachel will bear Joseph, who will save the Israeli, the, the Jewish people from starvation by going down into Egypt and becoming the second command in, in Egypt. All right, so... For believers, our future is not a matter of karma. It is solely a matter of God's sovereignty and God's grace. It is not an exact repayment in a one-to-one -one correspondence for wrongs done. It is... God's good will for us, even if it's painful. This is not, with Jacob, just some kind of gotcha judgment. That's not what this is. This is the love of God for Jacob and God ruling and overruling in the lives of sinners who are sinning in a fallen world. You can see God's sovereignty and you can see God's grace uh, in the midst of this. And there's so much grace in this. And there's so much hope in this. Let me prove that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Psalm 103, in verse 10. You might want to write this down. Psalm 103, verse 10. He, God, I'm going to read this very slowly. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. 
nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. It doesn't get any clearer than that. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, that far, so far, has he removed our transgressions from us as a father has compassion on his children. Just so the Lord always has compassion on those who fear him. And finally, verse 14, for he knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust and weak and frail. I had a church-going cousin tell me a few years ago that she believed in karma. I said, really? Absolutely. And she told me exactly what she meant by that. I said, can I, can I ask you a question? I, I doubt most Episcopalians believe in karma, but you seem to. Um, do you know what karma really is? And she said, well, tell me what it is. And so I, I kind of went on and explained what it, pretty much what I explained to you a moment ago. And then I think I asked the right question. Hey, cuz, wouldn't you rather have grace? It's like you really want karma for other people. And I suspect you want grace for yourself. Folks, there certainly are consequences for our action. That's what the Bible means. You reap what you sow. But, but no one is denying that. But it's not this kind of, we know how it's got to be and it's going to be one-to-one and you're going to pay and all this other stuff or I'm going to pay. The, the consequences come from a loving God. He does not treat us as our sins deserve nor repaying us according to our iniquities. And do you know why he does not treat us as our sins deserve? The, Psalm 103 said, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. Let me tell you why he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Because he has already treated Jesus as our sins deserve. You understand what I just said? He's not treated as our sins deserve, nor does he repay us according to... For as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions. Somebody was treated as our sins deserved. And that was the Son of God who came to take our punishment in our place before a holy God who will by no means, we read in Deuteronomy, by no means let the guilty go unpunished. God is so holy, God dwells in inapproachable light and glory, you can't even look at Him and live. That's why it's so amazing that God so loved us, this world, that He sent His only Son and did treat His only Son on the cross just as your sins and my sins deserve. This isn't just about what you've done wrong and what you're going to get. This is about who your Savior is. That's what it's about. 
And Jacob is loved by God. God, does, God remember, God met him at, at Bethel and forgave him and blessed him. So like, that's not right. Well, deal with it. I'm sure when God forgives you, you're okay with it. So in our lives going forward, what we get from God is parenting, not punishment. There's a huge difference between parenting and wrathful punishment. Parenting is, remember, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Yeah, parents and parents aren't perfect and earthly parents mess up, etc. But, but the idea of parenting is loving correction, not wrathful judgment. Not just come up at us. And so it may feel like punishment. In, in fact, this, this parenting, this, this all chastening does, does not feel pleasant for the moment. We read in the book of Hebrews, but, but if we receive it from our Father, if we are trained by it, we read, it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our lives. This parenting is for our good. This parenting is how God will deal with us as sinners in a fallen world by His grace and mercy in His parenting correction and love. And y'all, we can filter all of our disappointments through this as well. God has allowed a lot of things to happen to lots of people. And He's still God and He still loves us. To assume that because God allowed X to happen, therefore He must not be here, is to believe in karma and not grace. I remember uh, a bumper sticker that I saw out in Colorado. They're pretty popular. My karma ran over your dogma. Dogma is the word for doctrine, like Christianity. My karma, like a little sports car or something. My karma ran over your dogma. Ha, 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 ha. I got a better one. God's grace canceled your karma. Praise the Lord. God's grace canceled your karma. That's a bumper sticker. I would imagine that some of you here today, not that you're... Eastern in your religion or anything like that, but you kind of bought into this idea. Some of you today need to cancel your subscription to karma, okay? You just need to do this. Some of you are waiting for something like karma to punish people who hurt you. And for God to punish them exactly the way they hurt you. And you're bitter And that's karma. And that's not the way God is. But some of you are waiting for karma to catch up with you. For something you've done. And you're afraid. And that's karma. That's not what this passage is teaching. That's not what Psalm 103 is teaching. And you're afraid... You don't have to be. If you've put your trust in what Christ has done for you and He has taken your just punishment in your place, 
by God, then you are a child of God and you can trust your parent. You can trust your Heavenly Father. You don't have to live in fear. You can trust Him. You can take the next step say, I know that I can trust God. You can lay this down today. It's funny that the kind of the reap what you sow passage, the deceiver gets deceived, what goes around turns out to be just exactly the way God is blessing Jacob. Just exactly the way God is, is moving his covenant and moving the lineage of the Messiah through as opposed to exacting some kind of exact kind of karma punishment. Here's what we know about God. He is a merciful God of outrageous grace and love. It's so outrageous because we know we don't deserve it. And yet he loved us in spite of who we are. He loves us in spite of our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. He is sovereign and he is working all things to our good. Let's sing... In just a, a moment after I pray, the king of love, the king of love, my shepherd is. That's, it's a rewritten, it's an old hymn. It's kind of a rewrite of, of Psalm 23 about how we go forward in our life and who God really is to us. But let's pray before we sing. Lord, thank you that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love toward your children, toward those who fear you. Thank you that as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. Thank you that you do not treat us as our sins deserve, nor repay us according to our iniquity. But as a father has compassion on his children, you also have compassion. Lord, we bring all kinds of things that are just piled up in the corner of our lives, sometimes piled up right there on the frontal lobe of our life and we just can't get around them. Lord, we're crying out, some of us, for people's blood. And then we're just hoping that we won't get punished just the way we have sinned, the way we have hurt people. Would you set us free from the notion of punishment and set our feet on pilgrimage into your grace in the ongoing notion of parenting. Just as you parented this deceiver named Jacob and you blessed him in spite of himself and you blessed him in spite of his uncle Laban, we acknowledge, Lord, that we need you to work in spite of us. And Lord, would you cause that grace to only make us love you more? And would you cause that love as you just kind of rake out, scour out the fear and the vengeance on our frontal lobes? Lord, would you allow that love to begin to change us and calls us to love people. Lord, forgive us for when other people have been hurt or fallen and we have privately rejoiced. 
Thank you, God, that you are bigger than our hearts. Greater than our hearts. So, Lord, would you bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to bear front and center in our lives now. If you've never put your trust in what Christ has done, and you see it, and you know you can't do this before a holy God on your own, and you will bear the punishment for your sins alone. And you want grace. You pray with me, Lord, I see it. I turn from everything I've called religion, everything I've called Christianity, and I put my trust, Jesus, in what you've done for me. I receive you, Jesus, risen Christ, into my life. And God, as my Father, lead me in your grace. Help me to be gracious. Lead me in your love. Help me to be loving and grow in you. And Lord, would you set free people that have known you to be able to step into your sovereignty and grace with a loving Heavenly Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.